like that um, rather than this. But it certainly has been predictable. And, you know, I mean, I know that everything is full of stories now. The people who know about this stuff just saying, you know, saying constantly, we need to be aware of this. We need to be preparing yeah. for it. And, um, you know, government is good at a lot of things, but trying to prepare for low probability things that might happen in the future, uh, it's just easy to push that stuff back. And that's what we did. Phil Bredesen Jr. is known locally as Red Jacket's most famous graduate. He grew up in Shortsville, which is located in Ontario County. Bredesen served as the 66th mayor of the city of Nashville and went on to serve as governor of Tennessee from 2003 to 2011. Seven years later, in 2018, he ran for U.S. Senate. Even though he was unsuccessful in that bid, to use his own phrase, his rise from a small town in Ontario County to the governorship in Tennessee is, by most objective measures, a series of low-probability events. Last week, he was a guest on the Across the Hall podcast hosted by Brendan Harrington. Today on the show, we're going inside that conversation as Bredesen used his own experiences to talk about what goes into navigating crisis like the coronavirus pandemic. This is The Daily Debrief, our show about the stories that matter. everybody that uh, red jacket and the experience there which was third grade through through uh, senior in high school for me was one of the really formative experiences of my life and I, I still carry a lot of red jacket around inside of me so uh, it's it's nice to it's Bredesen nice to says to that at the end of the day people are looking for one thing out of elected officials when crisis hits leadership there are all sorts of crises that can impact government, but at the end of the day, people want information relayed, resources aligned, and response evident. Actually, there was a big flood here in Nashville and a number of those other kinds of things. What I found was that what people are looking for from from their leadership, you know, whether it's mayor or governor or president, um, is just uh, someone to kind of you know give them information and reassure them and be a kind of central point. People, when these things happen, they're you know, they're uncertain. They don't know where to get the right information. Uh, they want somebody to tell them this is the direction we need to go. And I think it's really uh, important to uh, to step in and do that when these um, when these kinds of things happen. You know, in a way, that's a more important function of one of those leaders than you know micromanaging the response in some way. We um, we had great first responders, as New York State does, and and uh, you kind of get out of their way and let them do things and do your part in terms of reassuring people and getting the information and and, uh, and so on. Bredesen also warned against the kind of complacency that Governor Andrew Cuomo has regularly talked about during his daily briefings. In order to flatten the curve, adherence to social distancing protocols is necessary, even in rural communities. But, you know, I think everybody knows it's coming. Uh, people are being very serious about the, you know, the, the shelter-in-place kind of orders, stay-at-home stay at orders here, and I'm sure that will help to flatten things, uh, flatten things out. But uh, as, as you well know, um, just living in a rural area, it, it delays the onset, but it doesn't change what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be there and people are going to get it. And, and uh, you know, the good news is because it's delayed, you can uh, uh, gives you a little more time to, to prepare uh, and the like. Uh, uh, we're not seeing any big stress on the healthcare systems right now, which is the biggest um, you know, the biggest fear from an institutional point of view. 
but um, but it's coming and um, and I think April's going to be a tough month all across the country. You know, when when you look at these maps of it coming, you can just see it. I mean, yeah. it starts in the cities where you've had the contact with, uh, you know, foreign sources. And that's why New York and San Francisco and Seattle and so yeah. on have been the, the locuses. But it just keeps working its way out as people travel and move around and, uh, and so on. And I guess one of the concerns is, I mean, Shortsville and Manchester and Ontario County, I think, are fortunate in having... Um, you know, some pretty good healthcare facilities. You've got the you've yeah. got Clif- down in Clifton Springs, for example, is a very good, very good hospital. A lot of a lot of the country, I mean, these rural hospitals have been closing. Uh, they just don't yeah. have the doctors. They don't have the facilities there. And, um, uh, you know, that's a that's a dangerous place to get something like this if you don't have access to that kind of care. Fortunately, something that I think is not the case uh, in, uh, in Shortsville, Manchester. Why is that, though? Well, It's mainly due to the erosion of the hospital system in those rural communities. As Bredesen points out, it's difficult to run a hospital with a census of 10 or 20, but that doesn't mean the answer should be closure. And what a, what a lot of them are doing is just is just closing up. I mean, they can't uh, they can't you know you know in today's world, I mean, you just can't support a hospital that's got a census of 10 or 20. It doesn't work, and. so it's equipment, but it's also just the, uh, the the staffing. I mean, getting doctors to locate in these communities of any sort, and especially you know, especially respiratory therapists. I mean, the, these kind of specialty areas that you need um, is uh, is is really tough. So, um, yeah, I, I think one of the things we're going to have to think about as we come out of this is um, you know, is how we you know, uh, what the right role for healthcare is and how you ought to organize healthcare in some of these smaller, more rural communities so that it meets the need of people. It's never going to be the same as, you know, I'm five miles from Vanderbilt University Hospital, which is probably one of the 10 or 12 best in the country. So it's not an issue here, but um, uh, boy, a lot of these rural places, not just Tennessee, but I mean, all across the country are a long way from um, um, the kind of facilities that you'd want to have if you really got sick from this. Bredesen proposes a hybrid solution to our country's health care problem. While he says there are some strengths, the former governor is quick to point out that the system falls short in a number of different ways. When I think about my family in Shortsville, my aunts and uncles. I have 10 of them there. <laughs> um, yeah. they, um, I mean, most of them worked for one company for their entire life. Yeah. And um, uh, that's one thing. That's not the experience of anybody, anybody today. I mean, with a yeah. few exceptions. Um, and people tend to move from job to job and so on. And you have times in between jobs when you're, you may not be covered with health insurance. It's just, it's a very patchy system. And, you know, it's got its, it's got its origins back in that, uh, in the, in the thirties, um, when, um, you know, when it was, when it was made possible to, to provide health care through, through, uh, through your employer, um, and then in World War II, when there were wage controls on, healthcare became one of the few ways in which a company could add something for their employees because mm-hmm. you had wage controls. And so you went from, I the numbers, it's like 10 to 80 um, percent uh, of coverage in a lot of these kind of companies uh, during the Second World War. And, it's, and that's just, as I say, it's just kind of an artifact of, of history that has turned out that way. I think it's time to start you know, rethinking it and maybe giving us everybody a base level of healthcare. And then if somebody wants to with their own investment or their company or their union or whatever, um, there's ways you can add on other kinds of things uh, to that. I wouldn't want anybody to think that if they got something like this, you know, this virus, the coronavirus, that uh, they had to make a choice between, you know, getting help and going bankrupt. I mean, it's just, it shouldn't happen. 
Well, you know, I've, I mean, we haven't really begun to see yet the sort of the impact on people financially and stuff of this, right? Now people are just getting, getting services. I mean, I'm one who believes that I mean, there's a lot of good things about our healthcare system, certainly, but I'm one of the things that believes that it's very patchy and uneven, um, basing it as we do on employment rather than there being some level of healthcare, which is accessible to everybody. I just think it's a, it's a mistake. It's an accident of history from how we got to, to where we are. Uh, and I'm hoping that, um, you know, that uh, something like this can start to have people thinking about how you, uh, how you deal with it. Um, you know, we have uh, sort of a protection for your financial security in old age through Social Security. And it's never meant to be, you know, for some people, it's entirely their retirement. For others, they have the option of adding to it or either, you know, belonging to a union or a company that's got a pension plan or something. Um, I should think healthcare probably ought to go in that direction. You don't try to use you don't try to use a, a national system to do everything that everybody might want, but you want to make sure everybody has got that basic level that they're going to need. If something serious happens, they don't go bankrupt and they do get the care. If anything, it's clear that appetite for change is real, whether it's how people are served in the healthcare system or the way the healthcare system in government prepare for these so-called low-probability events. It's also clear now that we are living through a moment in history. The actions taken over the next several months will very likely shape the next 50 to 100 years of American history. A huge thank you and debt of gratitude to Brendan Harrington for letting us use parts of his Across the Hall interview. We've got links in the show notes and on fingerlakes1.com for you to check out the full interview and support his podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by following and subscribing to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. The Daily Debrief comes out weekday mornings exclusively on fingerlakes1.com or wherever you get podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. It helps new listeners find the show. As always, this is the part of the show where I remind you that there is no paywall, nor will there ever be a paywall on FingerLakes1.com. That said, especially now, we could really use your support. If you can, visit Patreon.com slash FO1 to pledge it. Either way, we appreciate you clicking or listening along. If you have an idea for an episode or have a question you'd like to have us answer on the show, email news at fingerlakes1.com or visit fingerlakes1.com slash daily and follow the instructions to leave a voice message.